It's good to see you this morning. Good morning to you, I'm Pastor Joe, and um, those of you who don't know, if you're new, so so thankful for you to come. You could have chosen a number of churches, I'm, I'm sure, to, to come to to worship the Lord, and you chose Redemption Hill Bible Church. I'm thankful for that, and that you, uh, that you made your, your way in to the church. We're actually uh, going through the book of Acts, which talks about the beginning of the church and where the church came from, and uh, many of you know the state of the church in America right now is it's not good. Um, in fact, it's on the decline, and I even had a, a conversation this week uh, with a realtor who specializes in uh, buying and selling churches, and he told me three more churches in Bellevue, the city of Bellevue, are, are, are going to end this year, and they're figuring out what, what to do with it, and uh, that's just the state of the church, and um, we know this, that, that God builds his church, and because Christ builds his church, he also left us with the manual by which, if we would just follow the manual uh, that it has, the blueprint that we have, um, it will lead to a church that is blessed by, by the Lord, uh, not necessarily numerically, but, but spiritually. And so when we're in Acts chapter 2, in verses 42 to 47, we see the blueprint that God gives to a healthy church, an ideal church, or an effective church. And it's a church that we strive to be as uh, a, a Bible-believing, gospel-centered church. Uh, we want to do what uh, Acts 2.42 asks of us to do and, and live in obedience to, to the Word of God. And, and our church has been, ple- been blessed. Uh, we even have uh, up in the fellowship hall 30 new members right now going through membership class. And uh, we can only attribute uh, what the Lord is doing here at Redemptional Bible Church to the grace of God. Uh, God has decided to be gracious to our church. Uh, that, that's, that's it. We've, we've tried to be uh, a church that's obeyed Scripture and followed Scripture, but at the end of the day, God said, I'm just going to be gracious to Redemption Hill Bible Church, and uh, you guys have been so kind to one another. You guys have, have uh, said, yeah, I want to be a part of a church that, that teaches the Bible and holds people accountable to the Bible. I want to be a church that, that is in fellowship with one another, and God is blessing that. Um, by his grace. And so uh, we want to make sure that, again, as we go through the book of Acts, that we're doing the things that God wants us to do and not what the culture wants us to do. And so Acts chapter 2, if you're not there, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going through verses 42 down to verse 47. We're just taking our time going through this. And this is what it says in, in Acts two forty-two. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we need your help as we study the Word of God. Apart from your Spirit, um, these are just words in a book. But by your Spirit, we can understand these things. Our hearts can be transformed to become more like Christ. That's what we desire to do. So we ask for your help. Lead us and guide us. Guide us into new truths. Remind us of old truths. And I pray that we would be changed into your image uh, this morning by the things that we learn and are challenged by. In Jesus' name, amen. 
The most decorated athlete, uh, Olympic athlete of all time, is a swimmer by the name of Michael Phelps. Maybe, you, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, he's won 28 uh, medals in the Olympic Games. Uh, 23 of them are Olympic gold medals. Uh, in his prime, Michael Phelps, you could say, uh, maybe is even still a day, he was devoted to the sport of swimming. Uh, his, doc, his, his workouts are well documented. It, it, they said this, on a given day, Michael Phelps would swim, I should, or should say, in a given week, Michael Phelps would swim about eight miles every day, six or seven days a week. Every week, he would swim uh, 87,000 yards. Even on the weekends and on his birthday, in case you were going to take that day off. He would split his session into two sessions. One would be in the pool, which lasted five or six hours. Outside of the pool, he would be in the gym, uh, training with weights three times a week, uh, doing physical exercise with his body. His diet, this is where he and I get along great. His diet consisted of 10,000 calories a day. You're like, yeah, I could be Michael Phelps. 10,000 calories a day. He's, he even said this, sleep was also important. Stretching was important. Getting a regular massage was important. All of this was pivotal to his success. And here I am just trying to find 20 minutes on the Peloton uh, every day. Michael Phelps was devoted. He was dedicated to swimming. He had a single passion. He was single-minded. And that passion and that devotion was to be great, to be a great swimmer. And I thought to myself, as I'm reading Acts 2.42, that the early church devoted themselves. What if we were a church that was as devoted to the things that that God wanted for the church as Michael Phelps was devoted to being great in a swimming pool? What if we had this same devotion as a church? What if we had this same desire as a church to, uh, that the early church has? As it said there, they were devoted to teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to prayers. What if, church, we had a single devotion, a single desire like that? I think our church would be healthy. I believe our church would be effective, even more effective. If we had the same commitments that the early church had, if we had the same devotion that the early church had, we would see effectiveness. What were those things? Well, we've been looking over these last couple of weeks. The first thing that the early church was devoted to, they were committed to, is that they were a learning church. Remember this? They were a learning church. They were committed to what? The apostles' teachings. They would come together and they'd say, teach me. I want to learn about Jesus. I want to know about the Messiah. I want to understand Jesus out of the Old Testament. I want to, I want to know how to live life. Uh, the entire lens that they now had was that Jesus was the Messiah, and they cared much about doctrine. They cared much about theology. Their goal was not less teaching. Their goal was not less theology. Their goal was not less doctrine. Their goal was give me as much teaching as I possibly can have because I want to live a life of godliness. I want to live a life that is attracted to uh, the unbeliever to come in and say, hey, what is going on there? They were a learning church. Second, 
Not only were they a learning church, as it says, they were also a church that was devoted to fellowship. And we talked about this last week. They had a, a mutual care for one another. The church loved each other, and they recognized this, that their unity was not in hobbies. Their unity was not in their ethnicity. Their, their unity was, a, was around a, a common belief in Jesus Christ. That's what brought the church together. They were united together around Jesus. It wasn't that they were all part of the fishing club or they were all uh, athletic or they were all uh, uh, those who are involved in, in, in computers or, or any other hobbies. That's not what brought the church together. What brings the church together is a unity that is around Jesus Christ. And because there's a unity around Jesus Christ, there then is a natural love for other believers. It wasn't centered around the culture was centered around the fact that, as it says right there in Acts 2.38, that, that they had the forgiveness of sins. And so what came from that was this deep, deep love for one another. In fact, they even said this last week and we were talking about it, that uh, this love was so deep and it was so rich that the Roman government was going, what is going on? They sent spies into the church, spies into these homes, and, and these spies walked into these homes and they saw these people loving each other. They came back and reported what was going on and their response was this, oh, how the church loved one another. That was what that rang in their minds when they said, describe for us the early church. They loved one another. They cared for one another. There is generosity for one another. These people hardly even knew each other, and yet they were so generous with their things. They were generous with their possessions. It even says in verse 45, they were selling their possessions. They were giving away their possessions. They recognized, hey, wherever there was a need, they wanted to stand up and meet that need. The church was not cold. It was not callous. But it was caring towards one another. There was a mutual care for one another because of the union that they had in Jesus Christ. And third is this. You can see it there in the list. They were a communion-taking church. Why would they take communion? Because communion would remind them in a physical way with, with the bread and with the cup in a physical way their union to Christ and therefore their union towards one another. Right? So they had a tangible reminder. We're united together in Christ. This is a sacrifice that Christ has made. We're united together in that because we're united to Christ. And they also believed that in taking communion, there was uh, within that uh, this, this close communion with Jesus Christ. That the presence of Christ was unique when the church took communion together. And so they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, to the communion table. Which leads then to number four. The fourth defining mark of an effective church, and all of you could, if you're reading your Bible right now, you can all let me know what that is, right? Because it's right there out of the word. It is what? A praying church. A praying church. An effective church, a healthy church, or you could say the ideal church, is a church that prays. Why is this a defining mark of the church? Why is it? Why, why, would, why would God say, hey, I'm, I'm going to build my church, and these are the pillars by which the, the church will be upheld? Why is it that prayer is such an important aspect of the church? How would you answer that? 
I mean, think about it. Here's this church uh, or this new group of people that just right there on that day, 3,000 souls were saved. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of people right there in Jerusalem for them to go reach, for them to, to go and evangelize, for them to go out and go after. Why is it that, that God says no? In the blueprint and the design of the, of the church, it is, it is this. You need to huddle up and pray together. Th- doesn't that kind of go against the very urgency of, of getting the message out? of uh, Doesn't that go against the, the desire to go out and win the loss when God says, no, I need you guys to pray? To be an effective, healthy church, you, you do need to get together and pray. Wouldn't it be that this group of 3,000 would come together and they'd say, hey, like, okay, what's our strategy for Jerusalem? Like, let's break it down. You take this corner, you take this corner, you take that corner. Let's huddle up in two days. Let us know what it is. Let's talk a little bit more, strategize a little bit more. Where do we need more advertisement? We need more signage? Let's get more signage. What else do we need? We need to get on Facebook? Let's get on Facebook. What else do we need? More ads? Let's do that. Let's come back together. Let's have a creative meeting, three, four hours, make sure we're all clear. Okay, because if we don't get this right, the message isn't going out. No. What do they do? They huddle up and say, hey, God, we need your help. God, we're not doing anything until you bless this and empower us to get the message out. They spent the bulk of their time praying, not strategizing. Because prayer is that powerful. They devoted themselves to prayer because they believed that prayer actually worked. They devoted themselves to prayer because they had the posture of dependence on God. They devoted themselves to prayer because they wanted to seek the face of God before they would seek the face of man. They devoted themselves to prayer because it it had the posture of humility. We're a church, actually, that doesn't quite get the mystery of salvation, and so we're totally dependent on you, God, to save people, and I'm going to come to you. We're going to pray together because we need your favor in this church. came together and said, we're not going to move until you move. We're not going to go until you go. We're your servants. This is your church. We could strategize all we want, but without the blessing of God, we are powerless. Imagine if you're an, an outsider. Let's say you're a, a prominent businessman in Jerusalem during that time. You go, oh, I hear this, this kind of this new thing going on, and there's all these people together. I wonder what their business plan is. I wonder what their plan of execution is. Why do they keep huddling up? Why do they keep, what are they doing in there? I bet they got whiteboards everywhere. I bet bet they've got demographics. Wait, they're praying? How often? Every day? That's the plan? Yeah. Why? Because prayer is so powerful. Because prayer is effective, because prayer works. And because God wants us to cast our cares on Him, and God wants us to call upon the name of the Lord. This became this, this praying, this, this coming together and praying in, in, in corporate prayer became the, the catalyst by which individuals would seek the Lord in prayer all throughout 
the book of Acts. In fact, we could even go backwards before the, the, this, you could say, blueprint here of, of the church. And, and we, we remember even, even back in Acts 1 when, when the Lord said to wait, what did they do? They waited. What, did they, what, did, what happened? They all got together in, in Acts 1 and verse 14. And what did they do? They all got together and did what? They, they prayed. They prayed. You can see this here. I have a slide here. I, I think it made its way. Uh, to a slide in Acts, the different places uh, where the church prayed together in the book of Acts. Let me just show you a couple of them. In fact, just turn to Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. When it came to the leadership of the church, those who would run the church, the elders, what were they busy doing? Interesting word that's chosen here by the writer Luke, Acts 6-4. Talking about the elders, says this, but we, who are this, the, the elders, the leaders of the church, we will what? Devote ourselves to what? Prayer. We will devote ourselves into the ministry of the word. That's what the leadership does. They devote themselves to prayer, and they devote themselves to the ministry of the word. When they did that, you can see it there, universe 6, they, they set before them the apostles, and what? They prayed for them, and they laid their hands on them, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase the numbers of the disciples, what? They multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Why? Where did that all start? That started out with what? A commitment to prayer. A commitment for the elders to say, we're going to come together, we're going to pray. Other men came in and said, hey, we will, we will take care of the, the needs of the church. We'll take care of the physical needs of the church. You take care of the spiritual needs of the church. And together we'll come together and we'll see what God does. And what did God do? He, he what? It says there, the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it fascinating what happens when we spend time before God in prayer and we commit ourselves to that? We devote ourselves to that? Turn over to Acts chapter 12. Here's, a, here's another spot in Acts chapter 12 when Peter is in prison. Peter is... There in Acts 12, and they're in prison. He gets put in prison. Even says in verse 4, it says, And when they, he had been seized, he was put in prison, delivering over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Man, Peter must have been a, an effective guy to need that. Intending for the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. And what did the people do? Peter's in prison. Our guy's in prison. Our leader's in prison. What are we going to do? What's the first thing you do? What? But earnest prayer for him was made to God, what? By the church. The church said, we need to pray. They didn't say, hey, lawyer up. Let's get this guy out of here. Let's go. No, they came together and they prayed earnestly. Why? Because they believed that God could do something miraculous to release Peter from this situation. And then what do we find out? The next verse is Peter's rescued. An angel comes. Rescues Peter. Why? Why would the church do this? Why were they so earnest in prayer? Because they believed that God could do something miraculous through their prayers. You see this all 
through the book of Acts. They'd pray in prison. They'd pray before they'd go help plant a church. They'd pray in every dangerous situation. They'd pray in their worship. They would pray for signs and they'd pray pray for miracles. They would pray when they were persecuted. This was the attitude of the church. Why? Because they believed in prayer. They believed that God would use their church if they committed themselves to prayer. This wasn't just a common place for the church. This was the priority of the church. And it overflowed into the priority of the Christians so that they knew, hey, when something comes up, we need to pray. We need to give ourselves to that. It was led out by the leadership within the church. And the spread of the gospel would go out because of their prayers, because of their ministry of the word. Ian Bounds says this, The life, power, and glory of the church is prayer. Without it, the church is lifeless and powerless. Oswald Sanders says this, Too often, we treat prayer as preparation for the work of the church. Do you not see that prayer is the work of the church? That is the work of the church. Not just preparation, but that is the work of the church. We don't, we don't pray to get ourselves ready to worship. We pray as an act of worship. R.A. Torrey says this, When the devil sees a man or woman who really believes in prayer and who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, he trembles as, mu- as much as he ever did, for he knows that his day in that church or in that community is at an end. You go on to say, pray great things, expect great things, work for great things, but above all, pray. One of the great mistakes that believers make is underestimating the power of prayer. We so underestimate its power. Can I ask you this? Do you believe in the power of prayer, church? Do you believe that it changes things? Do you believe that through prayer, the Lord gives life and energy and joy and peace? You go back into our text in in Acts chapter 2, you'll notice what he says there. He says, and there was the breaking of bread and, and to the prayers. Many commentators have a hard time understanding what what this means, the prayers, whether that was a specific prayer that was said or whether that meant a certain time in the day when when they would pray. It would certainly mean this, that it was more than just a casual prayer of grace before a a mealtime or or maybe something that was just kind of just uttered just in passing or, or maybe just something that's just said because of the routine of Christianese verbiage that we just say things in our prayer without the heart behind it. Here he's saying these are the prayers. These are, this is more than just a casual prayer. This is intentional prayer. But I want you to notice this as well when it comes to the prayers that this is about congregational corporate prayer, not individual prayer. This is about praying together with your church family. The context here is the church, and the context of prayer here then is praying with one another, whether that be that you're praying with others in the church in some uh, small group fashion, or you're praying 
corporately here on Sunday mornings or, or you're praying with, with people at, uh, at your homes, maybe at a meal or, or even, even together at a, at a coffee shop, it has the idea that, that you're praying together with God's people. This isn't about individual prayers. There is a discipline, yes, of individual prayers, and, and, and Jesus talks about it in the Sermon of the Mount. When you pray, go, go find a, a closet, he says. Go get into your prayer closet and pray alone. Why does he say that? Because he doesn't want you to be the one that's like, oh, look at me, I'm praying. Everybody, look at me. Oh, and by the way, I'm fasting as I put ashes on my face. Oh, look how wonderful I am, and, and pray. And so there's this discipline of individual prayer, but here what he's talking about is the importance of corporate prayer together with your church family. That also is a discipline. I love what what Pastor Gene gets. He says this. It's a lengthy quote, so, so, so hang on with me. As I read it, it says this. The hallmark of Western civilization has been rugged individualism. Because of our philosophy of life, we are used to the personal pronouns, I and my and me. We have not been taught to think in terms of we and our and us. Consequently, we individualize many reference to corporate experience in the New Testament, thus often emphasizing personal prayer, personal Bible study, personal evangelism, personal Christian maturity and growth. Here it is. The facts are that more is said in the book of Acts and the epistles about corporate prayer, corporate learning, of biblical truth, corporate evangelism, and corporate Christian maturity and growth, then about the personal aspects of church discipline. Don't misunderstand. Both are intrinsically related, but the personal dimensions of Christianity are difficult to maintain and practice consistently unless they grow out of a proper corporate experience on a regular basis. The emphasis in the scripture record is clearly our record is clearly on corporate prayer being the context, there it is, in which personal prayer becomes meaningful. There's just something that happens when God's people come together to pray. It's inspiring. It's encouraging. It's unifying. And you take that experience of praying together with God's people, whether that's with one other person or one other family or in the entire church, and that then, uh, uh, that then uh, kind of explodes into individual prayer all throughout the week. And you come back together and, you, and you're encouraged and reminded of praying together, and then that goes out in, in every day of the week. And, and, and the mindset, though, that we have oftentimes is this. I'm not good enough to pray, and I don't pray enough. Why could I or why should I go and pray with other people? It's, it's backwards. We think I've got to be an expert in prayer to pray with people. Well, the reality is this, you get with people and pray, that right there is going to encourage you into your individual prayer lives throughout the week. If I was to ask you even right now, when was the last time you prayed? Or have you prayed in the last three months? My guess is that many of you, or if not most of you, would say, yes, I, I have prayed. And hopefully you have. Hopefully you're growing in that discipline, but if I ask the question, when was the last time you intentionally got together with another person in the church or another family in the church with the intention of praying, how many of you would go, man, I haven't done that in a while? That's the difference. That's corporate prayer. 
You're coming together with other people within the church. There's an article that came out in 2017. It's called Silent and Solo, How Americans Pray. Silent and Solo, How Americans Pray. It came out by uh, the Barna, George Barna poll. And this is, what it's, this is the title, how, how Do You Most Often Pray? This is what it says. It says, the forces of our individualistic culture have influenced what was once a more communal and corporate conception of Christian identity to one now focused primarily on the individual. This personal faith focus plays out most explicitly in the practice of prayer. Right? This is your faith, your thing, you do you with your faith, all about you, Go be you in Christianity. Almost all adult uh, American adults, 94%, who have prayed at least once in the last three months, most often chose to pray by themselves. 94%. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to pray by myself. Not only are most prayers a solo practice, but the vast majority are also most often silent. 82% compared to 13% audible and solo prayers. This is, this is so telling. Affirming this shift is the fact that only a very small percentage most often pray audibly with another person or group. 2%. 2%. Or collectively with a church. 2%. Pray collectively with the church. Can I tell you why the church is crumbling in America today? It's given up on the practice of praying together in church. Hardly anything is more important to the life of the church than its commitment to prayer. Commitment to the word and commitment to prayer, that was the standard by which the elders had to withhold and uphold in the church. We're going to commit ourselves to these two things. And you say, yeah, but these are pretty solid Christians right here. Can I tell you? No, they weren't. They were ours old Christians. They didn't have any training. Literally, they just were saved moments ago. They had zero training, and they came together, and they said, hey, we've got to figure out this prayer thing. We've got we to gotta pray. We, we need to pray. Who knows how? You 12. You 12 know how. You were with Jesus. He taught you how to pray. What did he say? We want to pray. We want to pray together. We need God's help. Let's get together. Let's do this. I had a rough day. Can somebody pray for me? Yes. I, I, my, my friend's not saved. Can you, you pray for them? Yes. Uh, my, my friend's struggling. Yes, yes, and yes. What are we going to do? We're going to just pray together. I don't know how. That's okay. Just come together and pray. And this is what the church did. A church that doesn't pray is like a brand new car without gas. It looks so good and fancy on the outside, but man, that thing does nothing. But it sure does look good. And it's got some shiny tires, and it glistens in the sun, 
But without gas, that thing does nothing. That's like the church. It may have fancy buildings, and it may have bright lights, and it may have uh, all the things that are pleasing to the eye, but if it doesn't have prayer, it is ineffective. It just looks good. Prayer brings life and passion to the church. It brings power into the church. And this is one of the foundations of the church. You say, what is prayer? Let me just give you a description here. Hang on with me here. I know we're all feeling it. We all were like, I got to pray more. Well, let me help you out with what that means. This is what the Bible describes as prayer. Let me give you eight descriptions here. Write these down. Grab that pen. Get your notes out. You're going to need this. You're going to want this. Okay, this is prayer as described in the Bible. Okay, we can all grow in this. Number one, prayer is a sense of need, right? Maybe the most basic elementary idea of prayer is you're saying, I am in need. God, I need your help. You go before the Lord, casting your cares upon him because there's a sense of need, right? We are all really good at praying when we have a need, right? When we're in desperation. Our, our prayer life just goes through the roof when things aren't going our way, right? This is what sense of need. Secondly is this, prayer is an expression of desire. Desire, I, I, I want to be in your presence, God. I, I'm here to, to pray because I, I, I desire to be with you and commune with you and, and, and pray to you. And I, I, I desire, as even the psalmist said, the one thing I desire and that would I seek, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord and behold his beauty forever. That's that desire to be with God. And prayer is an expression of desire. Number three, prayer is a spirit of humility. Right? I've, I've said this before. Proud people just don't pray. Why would they? Why would a proud person pray? They, they think they can fix everything. All right? Humble people pray. Humble people say, oh, man, I, I need God. And so there's this aspect of humility to it. It's mentioned in the Bible. Number four is this. Prayer is a privilege of fellowship. Man, what a privilege it is that you've got the red phone to God. You've got the direct line to God. You just, you just say, Lord, and his ears are like, yes, what? What is it? You get the attention of God just by calling out his name. What a privilege it is. It's a privilege of fellowship where there's intercession and you're praying on the behalf of others. Number five, prayer is a spirit of inquiry, of asking you're making this connection with God and you're asking for help. You're asking of the Lord to answer prayer and to move in big and great ways. Number six, prayer is a bond of union. Right? Where we know when people come together, God answers prayer. There's a union together. When, when, you, when the church comes together and you, and you hear requests from other people and you're like, yeah, that... I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to have a bond with that person because I get to pray for them. And they opened up and there's transparency and now there's warmth and, and there's wonder, hey, how are you doing with this thing that's going on in your life? How can I pray for you, right? Church, you should feel a sense of, of desire to want to know what's going on in the lives of other people because you want to be the one that goes before the Lord and says, God, help this person on behalf of my friend, on behalf of our church family. Prayer is an attitude of surrender. Or you're surrendering to God, God, I, I, I can't do it. I'm out of strength. I'm out of energy. I'm out of ideas. I'm surrendering to you. You're turning your life to God. And you say, okay, God, I have nowhere to turn, but I'm going to turn to you. And you surrender before him. Uh, as it is, you wave the white, white flag. Uh, 
and say, okay, God, I'm coming before you in full surrender. And then number eight, the one that we most widely miss out on, I believe, is this, is that prayer is an attitude of worship. So often we think as prayer is preparing us for worship, prayer is preparation for worship, kind of zip up, zip down the, the, uh, the worship service with, with prayer, kind of prepare us and then close us out as if prayer is not an act of worship because prayer is entirely that act of worship where you are, you are giving to God, ascribing to God all the worth that he deserves. John Bunyan has a, a great quote here about what prayer is. Prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate, pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ and the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit. For such thing as God has promised or according to the word of God or the, the good of the church with submission in faith to the will of God. I raise the question, how did these early Christians know how to pray? And I I do believe they went to the apostles and they asked them, hey, how do we pray? And I, and I do believe that the apostles went back to what Jesus said to them. Remember what, what they went to the apostles? They asked this question in Luke chapter 11. They literally asked this question, Lord, teach us to pray. I, I believe that, that the early Christians came to the apostles and said, apostles, teach us to pray. And you want to know what I believe their answer was? It's the same answer that Jesus gave to them. And what did Jesus give to them? He opened up the Lord's prayer. And he taught them to pray through the Lord's Prayer. All throughout the Lord's Prayer, you'll notice this. All throughout the Lord's Prayer, there are none of those, those first person, personal pronouns that say I, me, or my. You won't find I, me, or my in the Lord's Prayer. What you will find is our Father. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us, right? What is he talking about? From the very beginning, he's talking about what? We're all in this together. This is our Father. These are our requests, our family, not me, not my, not I. This is us together. And the church would have learned that from the very beginning. We share life together. We do things together. We pray together. And then look at verse 43 real quickly. There's an incredible result. What's the result? Verse 43, when they did these things, what happened? Awe. Awe came upon the people. You say, oh, what does that mean? Were they in fear? Were they, what happened? No, listen, listen, this is, this is what this awe means. There's this respect. There's this reverence. But even more than that, here's what it is. It describes the feeling produced when one realizes God is at hand. This feeling that they had is the idea that God is doing something. Wouldn't that be incredible? This feeling, man, God is at work. He is at hand and all came upon the people. They were just, ah, God is at work. This is amazing. And they're in awe over this. This is different. This is unique. This is special. God's at work. And awe came upon all the people. The church believed that God was doing something because they came together and they committed themselves to these things. They committed themselves to be a church that prayed. And what an amazing church to be a part of. I know even in our, in our church, we had a couple months ago, a couple people get together and say, hey, we want to have prayer meetings on Sunday night again. We want to just invite people to come to pray. And we don't care if there's three people, five people, 10 people, 20 people there. We're just going to get together from five to six on Sunday nights and we're going to pray. And they've been doing it every, every Sunday. 
together praying for our church. I know there's couples that come early on Sunday morning and they, they get together. They drive down here. They get here 15 minutes early. Why? To pray. Because they want to have the church filled with obedience to God's word. And so they come and they say, we're just going to pray together. We're going to pray for the Sunday. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for the sermon because we believe in the power of prayer. Jonah talked about this, this, this little booklet. It's on, it's on the way out because this is the kind of church we want to have. There's, there's a booklet. Some of you are like, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray for Sundays. There's a whole booklet. It's literally called Praying for Sundays, a manageable booklet. We want you guys to grab it on the way out because we want you to pray for our Sundays. We want you to pray for others. We want you to pray for your pastor. We want you to pray that we would be a church like this because we want to be as effective as, as we can be and as the Lord will allow us to be while we're here on earth. All right, let me pray for us as we close our time. Heavenly Father, praying on prayer is always one of those things where everybody goes, yeah, I can do better. <laughs> yeah, you're right, Pastor, I need to pray more. And we can feel that conviction, we can feel that weight uh, even feel leaving like, man, I'm a loser Christian. <laughs> I don't want the church to feel like that this morning. I want them to know this, that God answers prayer, that the church can be powerful when we pray. And so, Lord, I pray that we're encouraged and there's a fire within us that has been ignited to devote ourselves to prayer. Let's forget about what we've maybe not done in the past, and let's figure out what we're going to do in the future. Let's figure out how we're going to be a church that's devoted to prayer, starting with individuals who are saying, hey, let's get together, let's pray. I'm going to pray in my small group. I'm going to pray in my Bible study. I'm going to pray with, with men and women. I mean, when we get together, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer because we believe it works. And let us be encouraged this morning, even knowing that we are praying for one another. There is a deep concern and love for one another. Encourage our hearts in these ways, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless us. Bless our church. Bless the individual members of it. Encourage our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.